We are going to look a little bit this morning at the theme of receiving. Um, here's something that I received recently. Uh, it's a fine little hat that I received. I'm just going to pop that on for a second. Do you think it makes me look regal? No. Oh, well. Um, let me show you a few pictures, because this theme of receiving uh, actually came about... So I disappeared from Oxford for a couple of weeks in early December, went to India and Nepal, and that's where I got the hat from, and uh, as a sign of being honoured, a good hat. Um, and I got a big knife as well, that was great. I thought about bringing a, the big knife with me this morning, and I just thought I might have legal issues in the UK, so I left that at home. Um, I went to, um, with Steve Thomas and Roger Cole, to, to uh, North India to uh, first of all meet with these guys who are pastors of a bunch of evangelical churches just south of Darjeeling where they are working together to train people to keep planting churches. Um, I preached in this church. This is great. This church is in the pastor's back garden. Uh, it's not very big. And inside, that's how big it is. I'm stood at the back in the church. So I spent a Sunday there um, with that congregation, men sitting on one side, women on the left, Given that they're the size of a house group, it did inspire me a little bit as to what some of our small groups could achieve, you know, with an anointing and a vision, um, start their whole own thing going on. Now, I'm being a little bit frivolous there. I saw some worried looks <laughs> from them, that it's okay. But it was exciting to be with them. Um, this was a site in, up in the hills where they were looking to plant another church, because this group has a strong vision to keep planting churches together. Because this is the truth. Loads and loads and loads of Buddhists and Hindus in this part of India are becoming Christians. There's just churches springing up all over, and we were going there to see what the needs of those churches are as they are growing and developing. Um, that's the vision, and these are, just, these are the kids that live there. They wake up each morning to that view uh, over the hills and the tea gardens, and this plot of land that's at the bottom of their garden, actually, where they're looking to build something so that they can host a congregation. Um, we then went to this place in Kathmandu. Uh, this is uh, the Assemblies of God Theological College in Kathmandu, um, which is where I got this hat. And this is where, actually, God started to do something afresh in me in the context of this trip, which is kind of what's led into what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, we spent a couple of days with the students. Oh, this was the view from our bedroom window. It was great. There's the, 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 the city, which is a little bit dirty, but then views to the... Himalayas, not Himalayas, Himalayas, um, going up to about 7,500 metres. So very beautiful. But we met with students and taught them uh, day by day. But then something happened. We were in this Pentecostal theological college, but in a setting where people didn't really expect to prophesy, for example. Didn't often step out in prayers to see people healed. And so we felt quite clearly led as a team that we should just have a go at ministry in the power of the Spirit and kind of see what happened, uh, not least to bless the people, but also to uh, show them something of what could be the case in their normal Christian life as well. And then, for me personally, some remarkable things uh, began to happen. Um, amongst this bunch of people, just in one of the times of worship, I mean, God gave me half a dozen uh, really clear prophetic words that were kind of a little bit like reading people's mail in terms of decisions that they were about to take uh, and so on. And that was quite exciting. Just stepped out a little bit to minister in the spirit and saw something going on significantly beyond 
what I was used to, um, the joy of the Lord came upon them. We had a little bit of dancing going on, not because of my prophesying, I have to say, more because of Roger's good example. He's in there dancing somewhere. Now, I don't have pictures of this, but on the Saturday before we left, because they meet, their churches meet on Saturday, um, I went to, I'll lose the hat now, I think, um, went to a church where, because we prophesied a bit in the week, they were all expecting just the power of God to come as we went to these different churches. I went to one church, preached a bit in the morning, prophesied a bit, and then they said, the youth meeting this afternoon, anyone who's young at heart is welcome to stay. And about something like 120 people stayed. And I felt God say, just speak briefly, and then just go around and just pray for everyone individually that they'd be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, prophesy over people, and so on. I hadn't realized there were quite as many people as there were. Uh, and there was only one other person that felt confidence to pray. So the two of us that ran, I think I, I got around about seven, over the next hour, got around about 70 people praying for them. And I have to say that as I just stepped out and said, well, God, would you turn up and would you do something? I think for about 50 of those people, clear prophetic words, things to pray for. Now, I know it's not all about this, but, you know, people falling over in the power of the Spirit, saying they've been healed. I mean, it was not what I normally do. Um, and somehow this occasion had prompted me just to, to have a go. And since then, I've just been reflecting quite a bit on the whole theme of receiving from God and what we think we can do and then what God can do. So we just want to think about that a little bit this morning. If we could turn, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 to 17. Uh, Paul writes, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Graham. So, just want to try to highlight here um, three factors that uh, limit how much we receive from God. Three things that Paul touches on and which, when we think about them, um, can limit how much we receive from God. Paul, first of all, in these verses, is really open and really clear about the fact that he was the worst of sinners. It's true, he was a murderer and persecuting uh, the body of Christ. When Jesus met with him, what he had to say to him was not, well done, but why are you persecuting me? Paul understood himself to be the worst of sinners. And the first thing that gets in the way of us receiving from God is thinking that we're better than we really are. Uh, Like this guy uh, on the X Factor auditions. I don't know how many of you saw this guy who thought that he was as good as Michael Jackson and wasn't. Um, But you've all seen that kind of stuff going on in life, if not in the X Factor. If we think that we're better than we are, 
then we will not receive what we need. And this guy was a classic example of someone that goes on the show, and the judges were trying to tell him things, and he just wasn't hearing it because he thought he was brilliant. So if we are just dismissive of our weaknesses, uh, that will prevent us from receiving what we need. Uh, The truth is that we are all uh, broken as people. And when we do things wrong, we can write it off to this, that, and the other. We can, when we struggle in life, we can say it's down to other people around us. Uh, we can say that it was just chance that things happened, or circumstances happened to be difficult for us. Or we can even, actually, some of us are more wired this way, we can blame God for our troubles and say, oh, it's, it's the will of God that I should suffer uh, in this way, or that I should Uh, be unable to overcome this problem. So we have a choice when when we see the challenges that we have in life. We have a choice. Uh, We can put them down to all kinds of different things or we can allow them to be a prompt to remember our brokenness. And the difference is that if we put it down to all kinds of other things, then we won't receive a lot as blaming here and there we won't be changed through that kind of a process. But if we recognise that that actually we are in need, there are things in us that are at least contributing to all of this, then that will lead us to be open for the work of God in our lives, that we would receive from him things that would really change and help us. Yeah? It's not complicated. It's really, really simple. Um, It's true that we have, those of us who are in Christ, been made saints. We're not just sinners kind of struggling to get through life. Jesus really has given us the righteousness of God, which means that we really are saints. So uh, Paul in his letters, or in the New Testament generally, will, the letters are often addressed to the saints of God because we have been made holy. And yet Paul also writes that this treasure... The righteousness of God is given to us in jars of clay. So there's clarity here about the fact that God has made us to be something wonderful, children of God, filled with his power, and yet there is this clay nature that we have. There's a brokenness about us still, and uh, if we acknowledge that, then it's a doorway for us to walk through to receive grace. If we ignore it, we'll receive less. Here's the second thing. It's just to do with being a little bit sceptical. Paul says really clearly here, verse 16, about those who believe on Jesus and receive eternal life. There is an aspect of believing that really, really matters. Uh, But our believing can turn to scepticism. We can be a little bit sceptical. Belief gets bashed in us uh, sometimes. Uh, There are different kinds of failure that we experience. Uh, One kind of failure is a bit like shooting an arrow towards a target and we miss. And we start to wonder about our ability and how competent we are to do the things that we'd really aim for. Uh, There's another kind of failure, which is actually a lot harder to take. It's a bit more like this. You've been climbing a ladder, and it's been quite hard work, and you get to the top, and then you realize you're just on the wrong wall. 
It's just a different kind of a thing. And uh, there's many other kinds of challenges that we face in life where we've set ourselves to do something. We've got envisioned. We've got excited. We had hopes. (laughs) We had dreams. And then these things uh, seemed beyond us and they didn't transpire. And belief gets bashed in us. Uh, Life, as we live it, can cause us to be more and more sceptical. The kind of belief that Paul is writing about here, where he writes about believing on Jesus, it's quite interesting. It's not about... uh, There's different ways we can think about believing. There's believing things, as in facts and figures. I believe such and such to be true about Jesus, that he lived at this time, that he did these things. Believing on Jesus is a different thing. Believing on is about standing firmly on him. It's about trust. That's believing on could be translated as trust. It's about those who trust Jesus. It's less about ticking all the boxes of all the things we're supposed to know know in our heads. It's much more about being willing to trust. And if we're not willing to trust, then we won't receive a fat lot. We don't hold our hands out to receive things from people that we don't trust. If we're not very trusting, we'll tend to keep our hands, uh, our cards, as it were, close to our chest, rather than having the kind of openness that enables us to receive. Uh, There is a stronghold, to use a biblical picture, uh, in Western European culture of scepticism. There's something in our heritage in this part of the world where we find it hard to trust. Now, I don't understand why that is. Maybe somebody could explain to me the historical events that led up to it. I don't know. It's certainly the spirit of Antichrist at work in the world, uh, warring against us, doing the good and right thing of trusting in Jesus. We need to recognize that. Um, Romans 8, we sang a little bit of Romans 8 earlier. If God is for us, then who can stand against us? Right next to that in Romans 8, it says that God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. So how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The point is that in Jesus going to the cross, he has proven absolutely proven his uh, determination to do us good, willing to suffer for us, not just hoping that we might be blessed here and there as he goes on through time, but determined that we uh, receive goodness from him. The cross proves that to us. And so, Whilst recognising our brokenness and the brokenness of the world that we live in, we can be an optimistic people. The biblical word is hope. We can be a hopeful people. We can be hopeful in our brokenness. We can be optimistically broken. The fact that we have experienced struggle and challenge is not the end of the story, not by a long, long way. Because of who God is we can open our arms and say there is so much 
to receive from him. Then the third thing that is prompted really just by this wonderful sentence in verse 17, Paul displays a wonderful vision of God. I wish I could write like this. I don't know whether you sometimes feel that when you pray, you just wish you had more words to say more of what God is like. Uh, that's where, I mean, the gift of uh, tongues is wonderful. It ex- enables us to express something of our spirit without the limitations of our intellect. But Paul has here expressed something using his intellect, and I wish I could do that more and more. He says, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, to him be honor and glory forever and ever. He had a very, very, very high view of God. He thought God was amazing. <laughs> he thought God was eternal. And immor- things that just, we're not, you know, we are not eternal. We're not immortal. We're not invisible. Um, God is really quite different to us. In a really very different, on a whole number of levels. And Paul had got hold of that. He did not have a limited vision of God. He had a true and grand vision of God. Now here is orthodox Christian teaching that Jesus went from being uh, in, he remained in very nature God, but he emptied himself and became human. He went from God to man to embrace humanity in order to take hold of our humanity and lift us to be like God. Did you know that? He died, not just so that we would be forgiven, he died, was resurrected, and ascended into heaven as the first fruits of a new people who would all share in his nature. We are, humanity was made in God's image anyway, but here Jesus came that we might become like him. It says that again and again, doesn't it, in the New Testament, that we might become like Christ. We're being transformed from glory to glory. And so the greatness of our vision of God will also affect how much transformation we think is possible in us. If, if we think God is just a little bit better than us, then there's not much change to occur in us. If we recognize just how different God is, but remember that we have been saved, that we might become like him, then whoa, there's all kinds of possibilities. And so much to receive. So very, very much to receive. I read a book over Christmas which had a little diagram in it. Now, I know, I know that some people like diagrams, and I know that other people don't like diagrams. I'm a diagram-liking person. If you're a diagram-phobe, you might not enjoy the next two minutes. But some of you are going to find this helpful. Uh, I found this very, very helpful just to bring these different things together. So God is high and elevated, and then there's me. I'm just lower down, really. God is greater than me. Now, here's the thing, that what I actually need to receive from God, that little sign for the mathematically uninclined means infinite. You know, that there's, like an, there's an infinite measure of grace from God that I need to receive in order to become like him. And that is the promise of the Christian life, that I would receive grace upon grace upon grace to be transformed, yes? And, more to the point, the cross is enough to bridge that gap, to get us from where we are 
to where we are called to be and God has promised to take us. The cross has done all that's needed. Jesus' death means we're viewed as righteous. It means that the Holy Spirit is poured out without measure and we're transformed. So the cross is enough. But this is what happens. If we think we're better than we are, that is if we justify ourselves a bit, we don't think we're right at that bottom level. We think we're up a little bit. On the other hand, if we have a diminished view of God, our blindness about God means that we don't think God's quite as high as he really is. And our view of what the cross achieved is more like that. We have a diminished understanding. We don't think the cross is as good as it really is. And along with that, instead of recognising how much we need to receive, we think that's all that we need to receive. And so we don't focus too much on trying to receive a lot because we don't think we need so much, when in actual fact we need a great deal. If we think that the gap is small, we might just be happy to live with it. It doesn't really matter a great deal. Uh, Or we might be tempted to try and fix it ourselves. A A few New Year's resolutions might get me up that gap. They might, you know. Um, Or we might just hope that it will somehow fix itself, that somehow altered circumstances will make it better. You know, for for me, we we think if only, don't think, if only something changed like this, then I would be a better person. For me this morning as I was uh, coming here, I was thinking to myself, if only I didn't have to get three boisterous girls out the door on a Sunday morning, I might be more spiritual when I arrived at the King Centre. Um... I don't know what your if-onlys are, um, but we have, we have them, don't we? If only you know, I had a bit more money, then I could be a generous person. Um, hmm. I wonder what yours are. Um, if only I had better work colleagues, I could be a nice person at work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If only I had a really good pastor... <laughs> then I could really grow. <laughs> you see, if we wait for those things, we could spend a long time waiting. <laughs> but the grace of God is available, and it's sufficient to cover whatever it may be. Just the whole lot. The grace of God is sufficient for like the whole lot. Wherever we're at, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, whatever the constraints, whatever the measure of brokenness that there is in us, God is good. God is good. He's proven it by the cross. And the cross achieves all that we need. So actually, the New Testament talks a great deal about receiving. So here, in 1 Timothy 1, it talks about receiving eternal life. Um, But look, there's loads of other stuff. Receiving the kingdom of God. Oh, by the way, this is an opportunity to say something that I just wanted to point out for those of you that are interested. Did you know that... The phrases eternal life and kingdom of God are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Just a little thought there. Whatever you've thought about eternal life, connect it with the kingdom of God. And whatever you've thought about the kingdom of God, connect it with eternal life. Because there's various points at which those words, it's like the different words talking about the same thing. That might just set a few of you thinking a little bit there, but it's worth making that because I think we often 
overlook it. It's only those who are born again that can see the kingdom of God, Jesus says in John 3. In John 3, it also says that those are the people who receive eternal life. The things are connected. Anyway, we receive, so to say that we receive the kingdom of God is the same thing as saying that we receive uh, eternal life. It's a quality of life that starts now and goes on into eternity. But we also receive the word, we receive grace, we receive power, we receive forgiveness, reconciliation, the righteousness of God, we receive mercy, comfort, adoption to sonship. We receive ministry gifts, the things that God calls us to do, he gifts us to enable us to do them. We receive salvation from his wrath. We receive knowledge of the truth. But the one thing that we receive most of all is the Holy Spirit. More than anything else, the New Testament talks about us receiving the Holy Spirit. And from the Holy Spirit come all of these blessings. He's the one that's active, God amongst us, to receive all of these things. So... I'm heading up, I've been heading up all this time to wanting to ask this question, really. Um, should we spend some time this morning just receiving the Holy Spirit afresh? That's what I want to suggest. I don't really have a clear plan from where we go from here, because I didn't know how up for it you'd be. I'm just trying to get a bit of a measure of that. I mean, how... how yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, would, would, would that be good? Um, I just think it would be good to do that kind of properly then. I mean, sometimes we do it in all different ways. I think just to, to, re, to pray for each other. And, um, and I think if we could push a little bit beyond, you know, just going to pray you'd feel better for the Holy Spirit and um, let's go and get some tea. Um, if we could push a little bit beyond that and just give God some room. And as we pray for each other, expect God to speak. You know, expect God. I was saying about my time in Nepal, I was honestly surprised at just how much more God was willing to... I've never given 50 prophetic words in an, in an hour before. I didn't know I could do that. Well, I can't do that, but there is a grace from God. And I just want to encourage you this morning that whatever measure of ministry in the Spirit you have known, there's more. If you've never prayed for somebody to be filled with the Spirit this morning, you know what? You can pray... And as you pray, God will come. And that will be a big step forward for you in being someone who ministers in the power of the Spirit. If you're used to praying, prophesying, people keeling over and demons coming out, then why not share that blessing with more than two people this morning? Get around and stretch something and see more of God released amongst us. Yeah? So I don't know how to organise this. I think organisation might not be the right word. Um, Yeah. Should we get the band back up? That's always a good thing to do, isn't it? That always helps. Russ was prepared for that, so he knows that that's happening. Um, Well, since we're talking about waiting on God, um, can we just let the band lead us in a song and just be still and let see how the Holy Spirit starts to lead different ones of us. Um, Now, if you're a visitor with us this morning, you're like, this isn't church as I know it. Um, You're like, there's not enough boundaries here. Um, I just want to pray that you'd experience peace in your own heart. No one's going to come and do something weird to you. Um, We have a bit of an understanding here that if people look frightened, you stop. 
So you can give off I'm not comfortable vibes. You know, that's, that's all okay. You know, there is a sensitivity amongst us. Um, but we do want to release the ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst us all this morning. And if that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, I'm afraid that's a price I'm worth, um, I think is, I'm willing to pay for the sake of seeing God. Sorry, that's how it is. And hopefully God will touch you. Um, that's what we're looking for. Okay. We good to go? Brilliant.